Hello everybody, Dr. Rick Wallace here, dropping in with a little special announcement for those who have followed me for any stretch of time. You know, outside of the businesses that I run, like Myriad Business Solutions, the Visionetics Institute, Odyssey Media Group, I also do a great deal of work inside of the inner city communities uh, in Houston, Dallas, and other areas. Uh, I'm asking now as we push a fundraiser that you support what the Odyssey Project is doing in the inner cities, uh, especially with programs like Black Men Lead, which is a rite of passage uh, initiative, and Restoring Ghetto for, Ghetto's Forgotten Daughters, which is a program focused on helping young girls, but boys as well, suffering from childhood sexual abuse. Uh, rape, molestation, domestic abuse, uh, absentee fatherhood, and so many other things. Uh, the information will be in the box. Thank you. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Rick dropping in. Hope everybody is uh, off to a great start to your year. Look, I'm going to get right into this. Uh, you you saw the intro uh we're in the middle of a fundraiser there's so much work we do uh i'll try to cover that as i move on but there's so much work we do if you follow you know uh we need your support go in and there are a number of different ways to give preferably i would like you to process through the organization's uh donation link or through the organization's cash app we do have a gofundme page for those who prefer to do that they just take a pretty significant uh processing fee uh, but we definitely need to get in the mindset of getting behind those programs and those uh, organizations and individuals who are actually fully engaged in uh, achieving things. What I want to talk to you about is something that I am immensely passionate about. It's something that I've lectured on for years, something I've written on for years, something that I've been directly involved in uh, for years, and that is recapturing uh, black manhood, recapturing uh, the roles that in many ways we abdicated decades ago uh, in the midst of the turmoil and frustration that we were experiencing. And I'm not here to make excuses. I'm not here to reason or rationalize how it happened or why it happened uh, from the male perspective, but to issue a clarion of of uh importance that we need to step into our roles i have often said that we as a people will only get as high as our women are able to physically lead us uh this is a combined effort this is an effort in which both uh black men and women are going to have to learn how to come together on there's a reason why there is so much energy and effort put towards creating a chasm between the black man and the black woman because the unification of black male uh, masculinity and uh, black female femininity is unbelievable. And they, uh, what can happen in that when that chasm is closed is astronomically phenomenal. And the thing is, they know that better than we know that. And there's this constant push. Uh, when I look at a lot of the things that we practice, a lot of the things that we do consistently, one of the things that comes to mind is my understanding and studying of propaganda years ago. Uh, and the idea behind propaganda is people think power is your ability to force people to do what they don't want to do. Uh, no, the true power is in being able to convince people to do what you want them to do and making them think it's their idea. And in many instances, there's so much we do that we really believe it's our thoughts, it's our ideas. And actually, it's been a storm of and cascading force of ideas, concepts and, and ideologies that are diametrically opposed to the uh, values, interests, and principles of Black progress and the Black collective as a whole. 
Um, when I created Black Man Lead, one of the, the goals was to socialize young Black males in a manner that would reduce African-American, adolescent, and young adult male violence. That's the reason I started the research. In what ways could I create programs or mechanisms to directly impact the proclivity towards violence? And I found out it's possible. It's not only possible, we've done it. But we need to do it on a grander scale. But I, I discovered far more than that. I discovered the absence and the gap uh, that's created by this 100, um, this 1.5 million black men that everybody keeps talking about that have disappeared. They haven't disappeared. 1.3 of them are in prison. Uh, that's a whole nother scope that can be mitigated through proper socialization. But I want to talk to you about a specific thing that I made a part of the program. Uh, and it is a part of the program where we have conversations with young black males in an open environment where uh, there there is a uh, safe zone where where young black men can young black boys young black adolescents and young black males uh, men young men can talk about things that uh, are deeply seated inside of them that they have long uh, struggled with but didn't feel they had. Uh, anyone to talk to about it. And it's called Talks My Father Never Had With Me. And and it started uh, by seeing that written somewhere, but then it, it, it hit me. And I remember I grew up, my great-grandfather reared me, my grandmother's parents reared me. Uh, and so I had a man in the house. I had a man who was born in 1909, who had to leave uh, school at the second grade to go out into the fields uh, with his father who was a sharecropper just to make ends meet uh so i had a man's man he knew how to provide he knew how to stand up and square his shoulders he knew how to make something out of nothing he taught me so much but the thing that i remember is i've got this man and ultimately the conversations that he and i had were uh revolutionary in the sense of how my mind functioned and how I moved into the world and what I demanded of myself and how I saw myself as a man. They still govern me as principles in my manhood. But what I remember before that is the fact that my dad, despite having uh, a male figure, a father figure, my great grandfather, as the man in my life, as the head of the household in which I operated, that was still a part of me that wanted to talk to my dad. Now, I never got that opportunity. I never met him. First time I saw my dad was at his funeral. So I have a unique perspective in this whole idea of manhood. I have a unique perspective in how we must be dealing with and creating um, the ideology behind Black masculinity, Black manhood, uh, the roles of the Black man, uh, recapturing and reclaiming what we've abdicated, stepping back into the roles, being proud of where we are demanded to be, and being prepared to fully walk into the responsibilities that come along with saying, I'm the king, that come along with saying, I'm the head, that comes along with saying, I'm a black man. There are some responsibilities. There are some accountability. There are some things we need to do, but it starts with the the, 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 the talks that the vast majority of black males aren't able to have with their fathers. These conversations about testosterone early in life, when you go through puberty, these conversations about relationships with women, starting with their mom and their siblings, these conversations about financial responsibility and how we move in the world, these conversations about identity and a sense of self. See, one of the things that I learned early in, in, in my research and in my studies and as I began to expand my knowledge of psychology and sociology and how many social constructs are engineered for certain specific purposes and outcomes, and we are very rarely at the positive end of those outcomes and how that comes about. A lot of it is because we are consuming the wrong thing and we're processing and it is becoming a part of our subconscious responses and uh, behaviors. And it's leading to what we're getting in this world. Highly uh, emotionalized, highly reactive men instead of men who are proactive, instead of men who are able to manage their emotions. The emotions exist, nothing wrong with emotions, but you need to be able to manage them. You need to be able to operate in a mindset and in a way that you're able to 
uh, reasonably and rationally and with great calculative uh, intent determine the outcome of situations in which you are responsible for the outcome. And that is where I looked at. So I looked at all these different conversations that young black boys weren't having with their fathers and said, we need to have these conversations with these young black men. We need to sit them down in a space and open up to them. We we need to sit them down and we, instead of being judgmental, instead of being condescending, instead of being aloof and distant, we needed to sit down and we need to answer some questions. We need to tell them that, hey, at a certain point in time, you're going to reach a point where you are going to become physically stronger. You are going to become taller, bigger. Your voice is going to get deeper. This is because you're producing testosterone at a much higher rate than she is, and that it is leading to a physical dominance, but it's also leading to a, a mental and emotional aggression that makes you more likely to act with that physical dominance to do something to defend and protect. In other words, you're growing bigger, you're growing stronger, you're growing a deeper voice, which is a form of intimidation. Um, you, All of these things are actually in alignment with you becoming a protector first of yourself and then those in your periphery who cannot defend themselves. You are a protector before you ever develop the capacity to become a provider. You need to understand that. Why? Because if you don't understand where this aggression is coming from, if you don't have a sense of identity, and the thing is, when you rob someone of their identity, they will search for it. They will let someone else define it. They will seek it. There are some natural things inside of them that they cannot explain. So what do they do? They sit up and they determine that, okay, I'll figure it out. You got a bunch of kids out here killing each other because they can't understand what's flowing through their mind, through their, through, through, through their uh, physiological uh, development. They can't understand what's happening to them mentally and emotionally as they develop, as they change, as certain yearnings come and they don't understand them. And they've been told that, they, that, that real men don't cry, real men don't feel, real men don't do this. Uh, everything that... Uh, draws them to being soft towards a woman, uh, they're referred to as simps. Anything that says, I'm going to be responsible and I'm going to move beyond this and this is what I'm going to do, they're called simps. So what do they do? They develop a hard, hardcore nature and a manipulative and a selfish nature towards that which they were designed to protect. And as soon as things don't go wrong, they strike out because they haven't been taught in the conversations how to manage. They haven't observed in the modeling of manhood, because again, dad's not there. Manhood, the you got 1.3 million of our men out of the 1.5 in prison. So that's a problem. So the thing we know is when we properly racially socialize them, they are less likely to drop out of school, which reduces the chance of them becoming criminalized, which reduces the chance of them becoming incarcerated in the first place. But even after they become incarcerated, we can reduce the recidivism rate by, again, properly socializing them. It's a little bit more difficult because they've taken in so many negative uh, concepts and ideas about life and paradigms about life that it takes a little longer, but it's possible. There's nobody that can't change, that truly wants to change. But the best time to get them is when they're starting and developing. But here's what I learned about the talks. The talks open up a discourse of engagement where there's a develop of a hierarchy of respect, which is the driving demand of manhood. So as I'm talking to my grandfather, I'm developing this immense respect from him because I'm learning what my grandfather had to go to to give me the things that I had. It gave me a respect. It gave me an appreciation. But it also gave me a desire to aspire to do not just what he did, but to be better because he put that on me. Look, I did this so that you can do more. But see, we're not having these conversations, the talk that we never had with him the, because dad wasn't there or dad was caught up or dad was going through his own thing. You, you don't know how many times I get phone calls during the course of a week from people who are struggling with young black males and they don't know how to reach them. Young black males suffering from suicidal ideation, young black males suffering from uh, anger issues, young black males who have a bench towards violence and emotional disruptions in school and in relationships and in the home, and they don't know how to reach them. And there's, there's this uh, group that I definitely relate to, the, the, the guys who have married into a situation where young boys are already present, but dad isn't really active. See, I've become that. 
I have taken young boys as my own and real rhythm as my own. So I, 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 I know what that feels like. It's not an easy thing because you're caught in a situation where you're not trying to replace that dad, but you're trying to fill a space that you know if it isn't filled, something bad is going to happen. But it's hard. But I get these calls on a consistent basis because simply put, there are far too many of our children out there, young black males, and, and, and I'm going to get to... Uh, Probably tomorrow, what's going on with our young babies, our young girls? There's a whole nother situation with that. This isn't just, but what I want to say is the way that we recapture manhood isn't by typing, oh my God, into comment fields when we find out they've done something stupid. Uh, it isn't by going, wow, oh, that's horrible, that's evil. Uh, assessing them after the fact. What we do is we're going to have to be committed to sitting up and saying we're going to properly and effectively racially socialize them. What does that mean? That means prepare them to be pro-social in an environment that in, in a way recognizes the challenges, the unique challenges that they are going to face as black males. It is so important to understand that because here's what happens in the normal socialization spectrum. Every care, every parent is responsible for socializing their kid, regardless of race. You're beautiful. You're smart. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is how you behave. This is how you get ahead. This is what you do. All these different things of socialization is preparing them to go out into a world and function in a way that ends up producing the results that they want and that you want to see in them. Here's the difference, though. After you socialize a black kid, you got to come back and you got to double down and make sure that they're properly racially social. Why? Because a bunch of the things that you're telling them they are that are positive. You're smart. You're intelligent. You're beautiful. You're handsome. All that. They're going to immediately go out into a world where the stimuli is the reverse, where you're not beautiful, where you're not smart, where you are naturally inferiorly. Uh, you're naturally intellectually inferior to white people, that white people are what you should be aspiring to. And you can never be this good. Are you going to have to go in a situation and be two to three times better in order to get the same respect, the same opportunities than other people that don't look like you? So what you've got to do is you've got to prepare for that. you got to let them know, hey, you are beautiful, that you are the essence of beauty. You've got to go out that, hey, you're going to go through some things solely because of the color of your skin. But let me tell you something, you're built for it. They're going to demand that you be two and three times better than your white counterparts. Don't worry, you have the capacity to follow through and be that. There's nothing they can do to stop you if you don't allow them. Don't fall into the traps. Don't get caught up. Don't get frustrated. Find a space to sink into. I'm here for you. That's got to be the conversation. That's got to be the conversation. That's got to be the understanding in the household that you are capable to go out into this world. And despite that this world is inherently hostile towards you, you're not only going to get in the game, you're going to win. And that's the thing we have to set up because when they go out into the world and they don't have a sense of identity, that world, that world through social media, that world through through uh programs in school, that world through the way that they're going to be engaged on a daily basis is going to tell them who they are if they don't already know. This is the importance of the programs we create at Odyssey Projects is we have to build and fill in those spaces where pops and dad wasn't there. I'm dealing with multiple kids that are having suicidal ideations. Things we used to sit up and say didn't happen in the black communities on the rise because we're not handling our business, because we're caught up in the other things. And here's the problem that I see. And I'm going to call a spade a spade and the chips are going to fall where they may. The people who have the capacity to be the most influential are caught up in their successes. What do I mean? Those of us who have been able to navigate and get around and experience a certain level of success in the system have become content with being able to do that. And we're not looking back at those who are left behind, who need our guidance, who need our help, who need our support, who need our energy and our resources. We need to be behind programs that are doing it. We need to be behind ideas and situations. We need to be the ones that are filling in the gaps that are missing, that are leading our children into a cavern of disappointment, frustration, failure, uh, and to the point where if we don't do something different real soon, what we're going to actually end up seeing is a decline in relevancy to the point that we will no longer be needed or seen or viewed as being relevant. We're, we're, we're consistently on a political level, political and economic level. Right now, we are being replaced with Latinos, specifically Latin Latinos from the south of the border. We're being replaced with them. They are going to be the new economic filler of what we've normally been targeted for. Uh, they're already buying more luxury vehicles than we are. Okay, 
and that, so they've got them consumer minded because they're getting access to stuff they never had access to and they're doing something with it. Now, they're a little bit more cohesive than we are. So they are actually going to benefit from it more than we've benefited from it. But the, then uh, you got to look at the fact that as they do that, then economically we become insignificant in the sense of where we've been. So then we, what about politically? Well, politically, they've already started using uh, them uh, to fill in the space and be the buffer. So again, they're looking for ways to replace us. Uh, one of the things that Donald Trump did that nobody paid attention to when he won the presidency is that he proved that you didn't have to pander for the black vote to win. He never pandered to the black vote. And, and, and he got it. He never pretended anything. He he said things that were totally asinine in the sense and the ideas of how we normally think to the average person. It was asinine. But he had figured out something. He had figured out something that nobody was willing to try before. Now we have a blueprint of how to do it. So what we've got to do is we've got to make ourselves re relevant. And the vote isn't the way we make ourselves relevant. Do what you want with your vote, but you're going to have to have cohesiveness. You're going to have to have male leadership. You're going to have to be feared in some way. What I mean, economically feared, that they are producing an economic force within themselves, that they are economically relevant. The moment that you establish you're economically relevant, they have to pay attention to you because it's all about money and power. You also have to establish how you're going to move and operate and how you have the ability to impact political things, not with your vote, but how you actually influence it by drawing people to you, by creating ideas, by sitting up and saying, this is how it's going to be done. Now people are paying attention. And all of a sudden, the more people are paying attention to new ideas, the less people are paying attention to the old two-party idea. Now things are being shaken up. You got to get outside of the box. You got to start thinking. That starts with freeing up the minds and unleashing the minds of young black children, boys and girls. I constantly drive and ask and and push and 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 and, and say, hey, we need your support. We do. Uh, for 30 plus years, I've done research over almost 80,000, 78,000 or something hours of academic scientific research, research logged, research done. Uh, I don't know how many studies I've reviewed. I don't know how many uh, papers. I know I've written over a thousand academic papers myself. I've written over 25 books. I've lectured in, in countless areas inside and outside of the country. Here's what I can tell you. The work that needs to be done is on ground level. We have far too many children that are getting lost in the wayside. In my book, Academic Apartheid, I point to the point of the disproportionality of special education referral for young black males. Our young black males are disproportionately more likely on a percentage level to be referred for special education uh, uh, assignments um, and, and uh, IEPs than uh, any other kid, especially a white kid. What happens when you put that child at five years old already being alienated in spaces already being pushed aside already being said something's wrong being uh classified or diagnosed with adhd oppositional defiant disorder uh and and, and other mental disorders that they're going to be tagged with for life now they're in a program where those particular especially oppositional defiant disorder adhd which opens them up to now being prescribed psychotropic drugs like ritalin norvas concerta uh adderall and so many others that literally uh, alters their brain chemistry and, and renders them uh, in, in, in a docile state, in a, a state where they really, truly can develop. And then they're also scheduled two drugs. So they're highly addictive. So we're getting five and six and seven year old black kids addicted at a disproportionate rate. And we don't see how it is impacting their view of the entire process. So you increase the alienation, you increase the dropout rate, you increase the dropout rate, you increase the incarceration rate because they're connected. It's the school to prison pipeline in a way that people don't really pay attention to it. I'm alienating you. I'm already preparing you to make an early exit out of high school or even before that. And then we'll be there for you when you realize that you can't earn a living without at least a high school diploma or some type of skill set. We need to be preparing them. We also need to prepare them to understand that uh, not to fall for the college okie doke. Uh, the vast majority of money that's being made right now by black men aren't black men with degrees. It's black men with skills. What, what, what kind of skills? Uh, plumbers are making six figures. 
electricians are making six figures. Auto mechanics are making six figures. Uh, it's a less expensive education. It's a more rapid approach to it. You can get to it from high school too. It used to be that in the inner city, you could take wood shop. It used to be in the inner city, you could take auto mechanics. It used to be in the inner city that you could do this, but they started to commodify the black man. Same time they started commodifying the black man, they started to take away the way the black man could make money. They deindustrialized the inner city. They took the warehouses, the plants and everything where black men were going with high school diplomas or less and getting jobs to support their families where they were making good money and supporting their families. They took that out the inner city. They also took the programs starting at the end of the 70s and the early 80s out of the school that taught them how to do these things and then sit up and started to push college. Well, first of all, not everybody's made for college. Not everybody's made for college. Um, so then what happens? Then you are sitting up and you're saying, okay, now I'm going to get $100,000 plus in student loan debt. So now even if I get out and I get a job, I'm getting a job that in when I look at it, I look at everything I'm going to have to do as a man, uh, take care of myself, take care of my family, take care of my kids. Now I've got to pay back a student loan. Uh, if I'm lucky, I pay it off by the time I'm in my 30s. But that's 10 years that I'm behind in trying to close this wealth gap, wealth gap between me and the white man. And so what happens? I'm constantly going. And yes, it impacts more than black people, but black people are the most emphatically impacted by it because we are closer to the poverty line on a grander scale. There are far more of us closer to the poverty line than it is of them. The median household wealth for whites are 177,000. The median household wealth for blacks is 17,000. And in some studies, as low as 7,000. So what we're looking at is a massive wealth gap that we have to find a way to close if we ever expect to experience power. Where again, it starts is in the preparation uh, of young black males and young black females on how to carry themselves, how to move, how to pursue. We need to let them know who they are. We need to uh, unleash their creativity. We need to unleash their imagination. We need to challenge them to create solutions where solutions don't exist. Don't automatically think because they say this is the way it has to be done, that that's the way it needs to be done, because that may not be for you. That's a system created for them. What way can you do it that circumvents it? What way can you do it that you can overcome it? If you're going to pursue a degree, know how, how that degree is going to pay you. Know how you're going to use that degree. Under, understand that if I can't get what I believe I'm worth, in the job market, how can I use this degree in my own self to create a space for myself uh, using all the mechanisms that are out there? These are things that we should be having talks with young black males about. But here's the thing that we need to also understand. We're losing our young black males in the area of mental health. Mental illness is a real issue. It's taboo. Nobody wants to talk about it. I'm actually doing a uh, conference for um, Delta, Delta Sigma, Sigma Theta Incorporated uh, this Saturday. I'm going to be the key, keynote speaker and I'm actually uh, taking a, a breakout group uh, for, 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 for men. Women can attend that breakout group too, but we're going to talk about black male health uh, and I'm going to be doing that. But we are going to be doing that this Saturday. Uh, let me see if I got that. Uh, here it is. Uh, it's actually the Schoenberg Hoffman Estates alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Theta uh, Sorority Incorporated. And um, the, the, the name of the conference is Heart to Heart. Uh, it is Heal, Engage, Accept, Reset and Transform. It's a mental health conference. I am the keynote speaker. Uh, I am grateful that they thought enough of the work that I've done to reach out to me and ask me to step into that field. But this is, this is an area where we're suffering uh, in, in, in a large capacity, and it's impacting our ability to be mobile in this country. It's impacting our social connectivity. It's impacting so many things, and social media is playing a role in it. Uh, the economics is playing a role in it. Uh, our inability to connect and to disconnect, the fact that there's no real safe space for a Black man to say, I'm having an issue, I'm not okay, I'm worried, I'm scared, Those because we're not allowed to not be okay. We're not allowed to say, I'm feeling a little moment of weakness. We're not allowed to say, I'm scared. So we sit up and we pretend and we carry it until we explode or implode. And either way, we cause damage that could have been mitigated, could have been stopped. We could be creating stronger Black men. 
it was uh, Frederick Douglass that said, it's so much easier to create strong children than it is to heal broken men. And that's the thing we need to be operating and working on. But the problem is we don't see the uniqueness and the connectivity uh, of us coming together. We don't see the efforts to break us apart. We don't see the efforts that are out there. Like I said, power isn't forcing someone to do something. Power at its height is convincing people to do stuff and convincing them that it was their idea. That's what propaganda does. That's what constant barrage of negative, uh, uh, negative uh, stimuli in, in way of music, in way of uh, writing, in way of movies, in way of information being pushed. That is this collective psyche that I talked about in collective dominant bias theory, uh, another uh, study that I did and, and wrote on, where we literally are collectively believing a lie pushed upon us that is hindering our ability to stand up and become who we are really truly designed to be. They know it, they're afraid of it. The one thing they don't want is unity. Uh, Hoover told us this in the late 60s, the greatest threat to national security isn't Cuba, it isn't Russia. It isn't China. It isn't the Arabs in the Middle East. It's black unity. That was his, his exact words. Black unity is the greatest threat. Why? Because so much of what this country has become was on the back of our ancestors. But that's not the only thing. So much of what they've been able to sustain and maintain and even grow has been at the cost and, and at, at, at the expense of our well-being, of our worth, of our value, of how we see ourselves. We have constantly been misfed information, been fed misinformation about who we are so that we never step into the fullness of who we are and we never become it. We owe it to our children not to allow them to walk into that same thing. We owe it to our children to be engaged in their well-being, to be engaged in their development, to understand, yes, we're at a disadvantage because we have a significant number of we we, we, we make up 14 percent of the population. Our men make up around six point seven percent of the population but we make up 40% of the population in the prisons, the majority. We have more black men in prison than we have white while they outnumber us and outcrime us. But that's another thing. So how do we how do we mitigate it? We have to meet it on the front end. We've got to create young black males who know where they're going. We got to create young black males who are aware of their identity. We need to, we have to create young black males who have had the conversations with older, wiser black males that have given them an understanding of what's necessary, of what's powerful, of what their responsibility is. This isn't about liking everybody. This isn't about agreeing with everybody. This isn't about the come by ya. Everybody's on the same page. This is about we have a responsibility that even when we're not agreeing to stand in unison with one another. I can be in disagreement with you, but I'm never going to move against you. I may have to step back and let you do that thing because that's not something, but I'm never going to sit up and go against you. I'm never going to allow the system to use me to break you. I'm never going to allow my distrust uh, or frustration to cause me to be a harming mechanism in your life. I'm going to see you as valuable in this world because we disagree. You represent my balance. You represent the offset of how I move, how I think, how I operate. It needs to be that. We need people who are warriors. We need people who are intellectuals. We need people who have caring hearts. We need people who will sit up and say, I ain't worried about none of that. I'm about to get you. All we, we need all of that in order to be what we are capable of being, but we need to be able to see what is necessary in need and move together in unison and operate in unity. That's what they fear. And there's a reason they fear. When they say, if you want to watch and understand how to move, watch what they push on you and watch what they don't want you to do. When someone tells me, when someone is going out of their way to stop me from being unified, I may not even know why, but I know it must be good for me and bad for them. When someone sits up and pushes me to be extremely selfish and consumer minded. I must know it can't be too good for me and it must benefit them. I don't necessarily have to know how, but I need to know that it's not. So I can look at it and say, well, okay, obviously they don't want us to connect. So then the first thing I've got to learn and work on is connecting. And I've got to understand what happens when I connect, what happens when I join forces. One of the things that I've noticed, one of the things that I've put a lot of energy and effort in is that black men 
will come into groups in certain areas, but black men won't come together to build together. That's a competitive nature amongst us that we've been given. The only way that we have power, the only way we have relevance is when we measure it against another black man. So I can't help you get on because you might get more than me. You get more than me. People will see you more than they see me. People will respect you more than they respect me. People are going to sit up and gravitate. I can't do that. We don't see the power in pulling each other up. We don't see the power in operating collectively yet. And that's something that has to be integrated and socialized into young black males before they get old enough to see each other as enemies. The work that I've been doing for years is embedded in the ability to strategically map out plans that work. We're not going to win this war on an emotional front. I'm mad. So I'm going to tap some shit. Not going to work. I'm crying and I'm hurt because you did this to me and my family. Please look at what you did to me and my family and know that you were wrong and come back and apologize and fix it. This isn't a moral issue. This is a survival issue. This is the survival of the foot fittest. This isn't a moral issue. They push moral code, but don't practice it. They push it because there's a natural genetic inclination inside of us that wants to be right. We don't have that gene where we just want to screw everybody over. Desperation will take us to some dark places, but naturally we want to be good. So they know that. So they push the moral code, but moral code won't win this war. What will win this war is sitting up and saying, I'm going to do what I have to do to take care of my family. I'm going to do what I have to do to strengthen my community. I'm going to do what I have to do to rise up and be everything. And what I'm going to do is understand that it's not moral code that's going to control how they behave and how they act and how they treat me. What it's going to be is consequence. So I'm, I'm going to start applying consequences to every negative action that I don't like in my life. I'm going to add consequences to, 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 to roll cops coming into my community, harming our children. I'm going to add consequences to how you deal with me in the political arena. I'm going to add consequences to how you alienate me in the academic sphere. I'm going to add consequences to how you treat and, and, and move maneuver around me in corporate in, in, in market errors. So I'm going to create within myself an ability to power consequence. It doesn't have to be a physical consequence, but it can. It can simply be. This is what we're going to do about it. We're going to create this mechanism. So you're going to lose this amount of our economic spending power because we're going to invest it in this now. We're going to sit up and do this instead of asking you for anything. So keep it. We got it. And so you won't have a chance to participate in any of our, 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 our growth in this area. We're going to take our skills and we're going to build for us instead of building for you. We're going to take what you've been robbing us for years and now we're going to invest it in ourselves. It has to be a mindset that we're going to apply consequences to negative action because it's the consequences in life that stop most people, not the morality. Here's the thing. None of this stuff just happens because you wish it. None of this stuff happens because you sit up and, and it sounds good and it's a good thing to happen. We have to get up every morning and make it happen. We've got to be invested for over 30 years. I've just gone. And outside of running my businesses, I've been embedded in the work of the Odyssey Project well into the 90 percent tiles of the expenses of this bit of this organization over the last 20 plus years have come directly out of my pocket i don't do a whole lot of complaining about it every now and then i get frustrated and i mention it because it's significant i'm not doing this for my house i'm doing this for my people and they understand this have you, I want, I, want, I, want, I want to point something out to you. There is no shortage of nonprofit organizations that are out there that have millions of dollars flowing into them. And the image and the narrative that's being presented is look at all the money we're pouring into the inner city for this. Look at all the money we're pouring into the inner city for that. Look at this. Look at this. Here's what I can tell you. No major big name organization is pouring millions of dollars to anything that works in the black community because they don't want the black community to thrive. 
they don't benefit from the black community thriving. So you go back, look at all the millions of dollars that are flown. Show me what it's done. You have to follow the results, not just what they're saying in money, because that money's coming back to them. That's a part of the cycle. The money's coming back to them. So they're not really giving it. They're pumping it in. Everybody's eating off of the lie about how we're helping black people when you're not. You don't have a widening wealth gap when you're helping people who have proven if you give us a half an inch, we'll build a mile. So you got to sit up and say, if we have a widening wealth gap, what the hell is happening? It's because we're gassing you. We're telling you we're putting it. Look at the million dollars that are flowing and tell me what's coming out of the programs. Nothing. Everybody's getting their pockets fat. And black people are being used as the poor black people. We're helping them. You're not helping. And then look at the programs that work. Ryan Clark, a white man on the East Coast school. Unbelievable how he learned how to teach young black kids through music. Everybody, instead of told of being still, they, they crump from the moment they walk in there. And he's one of the few schools I've seen that has been able to convince black men to come in and teach. Black men bailing on teaching like crazy. Here's what you're sending your kid to when you send them into an educational, uh, especially public education system, predominantly middle class white women, then young white women, then black women, and one or two black men. And in most cases, the black men who are actually in the classroom are effeminate. These are the uh, situations we're sending our boys into. Where's the black? How, how are they supposed to see black manhood when, when, when they don't see black manhood? How are they supposed to assimilate or emulate black manhood when, when they can't see it modeled for them on a consistent basis? It's not at home. Mom's single in way too many instances. It's not at school. And then I'm being dominated or feared by white women and then put in situations where I'm being classified as ADHD. I'm being classified as oppositionally defiant. I'm being classified as disruptive. I'm being classified as learning disabled. All these different things and tags are being put on me. Now I got a special education tag. I'm on an IEP and they get double the amount of money from the state that they would have been getting if I would just be a regular student. I have become a commodity already. And now I'm being mishandled already. Our responsibility is to educate them. Even if you got to send them to public school, there has to be a program. There has to be some way that they are being properly educated about who they are, where they come from, what they're capable of, all the things that are possible for them so that they don't get misled by the images and the, and the notions that are going to be presented to them about who they are and what they can expect out of life. Because what they can expect once they get to school and what they see is not what you want them seeing. You want them to expect and demand more. And the thing is, they have an unlimited capacity, but they're never tapped into it because immediately it's been snatched from in front of them and a new story is being told and they're buying into it. And that's our responsibility. We have to do better. It, 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 oh, there's no shortage of people tearing into black men, maligning black men, how trifling black men are, how, how horrible black men, how violent black men are, but nobody's talking about the development of black men. See, black men aren't born, they're built. We get little boys and we determine what those little boys become but what, by what we put in front of them, by what we put in their minds, by the challenges we give them. The rite of passage for black man Lee is about saying, this is what you're meant to become. We give them something to, thr to, to strive for. Every other group that you see that is successful has some form of a rite of passage for their males and their females. In other words, you're not just expected to feel your way out and fall into manhood and womanhood. This is what manhood and womanhood looks like in our culture. And this is how you're going to get there. And we're going to walk you through it. And we're going to be there for you when it gets tough. We're going to be there for you when you get frustrated and you can't understand it. That's the thing we're missing on. So when I ask you to look in the description box and donate, it's not because I'm just sitting up and I'm cruising through this. I didn't just show up. I've been on this. I've been on the social media thing since there was a social media. 
I've been doing it long before social media was a thing, before anybody was talking about doing anything on the internet. I've been doing this. I've been doing the research. I've been sitting up and developing the programs. I've been working with people. I get calls every day of people I'm working with. Like I said, I'm doing this mental health thing. I've, I've gotten contacted by another person with a mental health clinic on the East Coast. I'm going to connect with them. I'm going to work with them. We're going to get things done. We have to tackle this issue of mental health. Mental health. Let me give you just some insight on that and how it looks for black men and for our, our, our women too. Across the board, regardless of gender, regardless of age, uh, suicide has increased over the last five years in the black community by 30 percent. And no, this isn't where we're just seeing it more because it's on social media. No, these are actual numbers being kept. Actual successful suicides have increased in the black community by 30 percent over the last five years. See, I can tell you where a lot of it is coming from. That's what I do. I put the work in. That doesn't come free. Research is timely. It's costly, but it's necessary. It's the ugly thing nobody wants to do that I actually love doing, but it it, it takes time. It, it requires so much. I love doing it. I love learning from it because it teaches me how to help people. When you understand the cause, now you have, you have access to the cure. If you never discover the causality of something, you can only deal with symptoms. Masking symptoms is why the entire America is sick right now. Pumping medications into people to mask the symptoms and never deal with the cause. You never deal with the origin. You never get rid of the problem. When you discover the origin, now you can control the start of something. You can change its trajectory. You can do something different to create a new outcome. That's the importance of this thing. This isn't something small. This is something magnificent that the world should have, uh, the black world should have access to. But let me tell you something. When I'm sitting up and I'm doing this, I'm saying we need to understand that we are responsible for us. We are responsible for the black man that we put out there. It really, I have sons and daughters, but as a man who has eight daughters, it scares the hell out of me that there are so many young black males who are emotionally unstable. Not because it's their inherent reality, not because of some biological trait, a genetic trait, but because we haven't properly developed them, we haven't invested in them, we haven't put into them what's necessary, and they're fighting to become whatever they can fight, and they are maladapted. They don't have the emotional intelligence, the emotional maturity, the emotional control to manage the feeling of rejection. And they are interpreting the rejection as disrespect. And the worst thing you can do to a man is disrespect them. And so now they are reacting to the perception of disrespect because they were never taught that you don't own a possessive woman. You experience her. They were never taught that that aggression that's inside of them and that strength and that natural desire to attack at times wasn't meant to harm her. It was meant to protect her. These are the conversations we need to have. These are the principles we need to put out. They need to understand the five P's of manhood. They need to understand the 11 principles of manhood. They need to be exposed to this on a consistent basis. We also need to be dealing with this, but back to the thing, 30% increase. This is where it gets real crazy. Over the last eight years, a 49% increase in suicide among black males, 14 to 24. 14 and 25, depending on what study. There are multiple studies. So between 14 and 25, let's just say 14, 25, 49% increase. Now here's something with our babies. Five to 13 girls at the top of the list, most likely to commit suicide right now. Five to 13. In that age frame, our girls are in a space where they don't feel safe. They're being bullied, cyber bullied, things that a lot of us my age look at and go, man, come on. But just imagine for a second. Go back. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you were a bully. But think about the dynamic when we were in school. If that was a bully at school, you just had to survive eight hours around the bully a lot of that time was going to be in front of a teacher so they couldn't really deal with you. so you just had to navigate those moments where you could be in a situation where you are where no adult is and the bully can harm you or agitate harass you 
Social media says the bully has 24-7 access to you. The bully can recruit people that don't even go to your school to dislike you and to say nasty things to you. And that's what we're exposing our kids to. There's research done that says Instagram is one of the most dangerous social media platforms for young girls of any race. But imagine black girls who are already struggling with their identity. You know, am I beautiful? Do I fit into the Eurocentric idea of what's gorgeous, what's beautiful, what's classy? How do I need to change myself to be accepted? They're already doing that now. And then you expose them to this excessive negative energy and attacking and they can't escape it. And I'm looking at babies and I'm reading these stories about these young, beautiful babies killing themselves. And then we had two beauty contestants. One of them was Miss US, former Miss USA, jump off of buildings. Women aren't even usually jumpers. Women normally are taking pills. Rarely they will use uh, suffocation or uh, strangulation methods, but gunshots and jumping, that, that's normally men. But we're seeing our women go to the extreme. Uh, another a young baby jumped off the bridge in Baton Rouge that goes over the water, the, the big bridge. We have an issue. There's a solution, but it's not going to come easy because it's going to be required to have resources. We're going to have to be willing to put in the work. The problem is that the ones who are able are too comfortable. The ones who can give, it doesn't touch them the way it's touching the ones in the hood until it's your son that's got the suicidal ideations, until it's your daughter that's been abused or killed. And then it's, oh my God, we've got to stop being reactive and start being proactive. I've been saying this for years, but I love this component of Black Man Lead, uh, the, the talks my father never had with me. Uh, like I said, I, I never met my father. Thank God I had my grandfather in the home. But the one thing I remember more vividly than anything as I came up and the thing that it took me a while to really get past. I'm, I want to give you guys a peep into this so you can understand what our boys are up against. I never knew my dad. First time I met my dad was at his funeral. He was in a casket. And after the funeral, we went to the cemetery and they lowered the casket uh, into the ground. And I can remember as the casket was being lowered into the ground, this was some years ago, I was 14. As the casket was being lowered into ground, every hope, every wish, every aspiration I had of the life I could have with that man at some point in time was lowered into that ground, never to come out again. And what I realized 20 years later, when I wrote my first book, The Invisible Father, Reversing the Curse of a Fatherless Generation, uh, I've since written 24 more books, but that book still just rings. What I realized at that moment is that all of the successes I had achieved in my life until I was at 34 years old, was me trying to prove to a dead man that I was worthy of his love. This is what our boys are dealing with. I'm trying to prove to a man, look at what you missed, but he's gone. But I'm fighting, trying to be the best I can be, trying to show him what he missed out on. And I had to realize I had to let it go. And that book was my cathartic process of putting it down. But I'm watching so many sons that I deal with, that are angry, but they don't know how to explain or express their anger. It is absolutely imperative that we start to deal with this. I'm challenging everybody who's watching this to share it with someone. I'm asking you to assist and help support the work we're doing in the description box is a link that you can support the organization through the organization's own uh, processing center. Uh, 
or you can use Cash App. A lot of people like Cash App. It's real quick. Uh, the organization has its own Cash App account. That information is in the description box. And for those of you who prefer or just have to use GoFundMe, that link is in there. But what we are going to have to do is a better job of getting behind programs and people who are committed. We can't keep sitting up thinking that the next person's going to do it or that it's only that person's responsibility. That's not how we're going to win. That's not how other enclaves are operating. Watch how other enclaves come together. And the crazy thing is we will go to war and battle and support them in their efforts to get something done more than we'll do it for ourselves. That's absolutely unacceptable. Look, I could go on and on about this. This is what my life has been about as far as my people is being aware. And I'm hoping that I'm leaving a legacy in the information that I'm providing. I'm hoping I'm leaving a legacy in the uh, lives that I've touched. Uh, and I hope that it speaks of me long after I'm gone, because that's what matters to me is that I leave this place better than when I found it. I'm going to challenge you. Go to the description box and give. Uh, on that note, I'm going to get out of here. You guys have an unbelievable remainder of your day. I still have work to do. Oh, hold on a second. Arquita Sample. Uh, that name sounds familiar. I think your name came across my desk about something. It says, how do you do, how can you do something on a larger scale for school boards in other states? Um, the thing is, I've worked uh, with a number of different school districts. I've gone to war with the Charlotte Mecklenburg School District. I've dealt with school districts in Atlanta, in, Flor uh, in Florida. I've dealt with colleges in Ohio, in Florida, uh, as an advocate of young black males predominantly and in some cases young females. Uh, but the goal is to organize. That's one of the things I want to do. I want to create a network of people in every major city that can then splinter out into the smaller towns in that particular area that provides the services. And, and then if you create the network, I don't mind being the source of the hub. Um, when something's going on and nobody has a solution, reach out to me. But we've got to have that connectivity where everybody's engaged, where you can sit up and say, okay, this is what needs to be done and we're prepared to do it. I have a bunch of different things that I can sit up and I can offer now, but the money isn't there. And so it gets frustrated. Now, the thing is, a lot of times, like I said, I've been doing this as an organization for well over 20 years. I still haven't achieved twenty thousand dollars in donations. People are like I'm not giving to that. You're not living off of me. Look, I have businesses that are literally supporting this stuff and supporting my family. I could actually do a whole lot better if I was selfish and I didn't care about nobody but me and my family. So, me sitting up talking trying to get twenty dollars this month doesn't help me. What helps me? is knowing that people are going to get behind programs, not just mine. Uh, I've literally also mentored young black males who are now men, who are now running their own organizations, feeding the homeless, putting it up. We got uh, right now in Houston, we are building right now uh, shelters for uh, domestic abuse, uh, for addict uh, people struggling with addiction, uh, homeless people, mental health, uh, resources and programs. That's what I'm about. I'm about doing something. Those are the things that speak of you after you're gone. So yes, that's what I'm asking. I'm asking that we get to a point to where we literally look at it something and do what they do. Look at what they do. They literally get behind one another. And within a short period of time, they fund stuff in massive numbers. And it's because even though they act like race isn't an issue, they know. They know. Just watch them. Just watch how they move. And one thing that I had I, I, I was made aware of is when I went and set up the GoFundMe thing, I got to pay attention and watch. The stuff that they will support each other in that we'll sit up and we'll look at and go, you out of your darn mind. They just get behind. There's this natural thing that they do, that they defend one another, even when they know each other. Man, go back and look at Darren Wilson. 
Darren Wilson shoots Mike Brown. I think a minimum of seven or eight times he hit him. He shot at him more than that. The whole time until he dropped, he's got his hands up saying, I'm not armed, don't shoot. Every They leave his body out in the street for hours. Everybody that's talking about it saying that he had his hands up. He wasn't a threat because he was over 20 feet away at the time, so he wasn't an immediate threat. He didn't. He wasn't armed, but he shot him. With all this information out there, when the prosecutors start talking about investigating and maybe prosecuting him, they set up a GoFundMe for Darren Wilson and in less than a month raised over $600,000. GoFundMe took it down because that's when people made a big issue about supporting people who have been charged with crimes. And so they took it down. And so they just took it to another private platform and raised, I think, close to a million dollars. He never got charged. So he literally got paid to kill him. That's how they operate. We think different. I'm not doing this. I'm not getting behind that. I'm going to do this. And the thing is, I look at the things we spend our money on. It's there. Two billion dollars a year in Jordans. We are $150,000 separated in, 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 in wealth. Uh, household wealth. They are 177,000 in household wealth. We are at 17 and we out buy them. We double the amount of Mercedes being purchases than they do. The money's there. We, 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 we are lost in symbolism. We are lost in proving to everyone that we've made it, that we are successful instead of sitting up and creating a powerful force that insulates our progeny, our offspring down the line. That's the problem. What you have, do uh, one thing I've watched and one thing I teach in Legacy Wealth is how much of our wealth that we do accumulate gets lost in probate in other instances because we didn't properly protect it because we were too busy showing it and we didn't properly protect it. And so our kids end up starting over. And by the time our grandkids come around, none of what we created touches them. Because we are lost in symbolism, because we refuse to develop a capacity for understanding how wealth is built, because we won't build the mindsets that are focused on pro-Black values, interests, and principles. And as long as we're operating like that, we're literally serving their interests. It's that simple. It is that simple, no matter how you want to look at it, no matter how you want to shape it, no matter what, that is what we're looking at. So... With that being said, look, I'm going to get ready to get out of here. I definitely appreciate you guys stopping by. Like I said, I hope that you will share. Click the like button. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe. Uh, this is going to be an ongoing thing. We're going to talk about some things. The thing I want to do is I want to bring as much knowledge as I can. One thing that I think that the people who have been here for a while will tell you, I'm not a know-it-all. I'm going to share what I know, and I know a lot, but I'm not a know-it-all. Uh I don't bring my ego to the page. Now, if you disrespect me, I will check you and I will check you unapologetically and I will check. You will definitely know you've been checked, but uh, I don't need you to agree with everything I say. I, I don't need you to be a yes person. I need you to be aware. I need you to be a participant. I need you to be a part. I need you to contribute. Uh, another thing you could do is go to the site, the Odyssey Project 20, the Odyssey Project 21.top and hover over the labels at the top. And one of them is the Blueprint 1.0. I'm loving to put some great minds together to update that Blueprint. Um, so with that being said, look, I'm going to get ready to get off of here. Uh, anybody who has more questions, feel free to email me at the Odyssey Project 21, at CEO at the Odyssey Project 21.tlp. Email me, ask me the questions, uh, you know, pick my mind or ask me things you need to know about me or whatever. I'm open. What I want is to create a network that doesn't come free. We need your support. Uh, we need your support for black men. We got to socialize these kids. I'm going to say this and then I, I promise I'm done. This is what I learned. I went to, uh, I came across uh, socialization as a means of mitigating and reducing the risk for violence among African-American adolescent and young adult males. Here's what I got out of studying socialization in addition to reducing the proclivity towards violence. 
It increases their capacity to stay in school, which reduces their chance of being incarcerated. It increases their level of responsibility and accountability and willingness to get married and support a family. It also increases the fact that there will be business owners and be in a better position to earn more to support those families. This is what proper socialization would do. It literally sets the path to a better life, not just for them, but for everybody that they come in contact with. But when we don't do it, we actually rob them of that opportunity. And then we get upset because they're out there and they figure out other ways to get it. You got an entire media uh, uh, cascade, big upping jewelry and cars and everything like that. And you can't get that working at McDonald's. You can't get that working at Popeye's. You can't get so they, they, they don't have the skill set because we drove them out. We allowed them to be driven out of school and alienated in the school process is starting at kindergarten, five years old. So what do they do? They're out there creating it the best way they can. And they're running over and destroying anything that tries to get in their way. That's on us. We can't keep doing that. Because again, we will only get as high as our women lift us, but we will only get as far as our men physically lead us. They can't lead us anywhere but destruction. It's on us to change that. It's not a quick fix. You're not gonna throw a Band-Aid on this and it's gonna go away. We're going to have to literally start preparing these kids to be better. I always say that we are, if we're going to ever truly experience empowerment, we're going to need men who are willing to plant seeds, who they may uh, plant seeds where they may not live long enough to see those kids, those seeds come to fruition. Everybody wants a pat on the back. Everybody wants to be the man. Everybody wants to be the one who got it done. Somebody needs to be the person. I'm going to plant this. I'm going to nurture this and I'm going to pass it down. Maybe my grandkids will benefit from it. Oh, that's powerful. But that's not how we're built. We got to change that. On that note, look, I, I really appreciate you. Uh, I'm ready to get out of here. Um, again, email me um, if you have any questions. Um, and, and so much more. Uh, oh, somebody asked about Dr. D. T. Hassan Johnson, man. I love that dude. Uh, him and uh, uh, Dr. Curry, Donald Mala working that. And I have no problem collaborating with him. Um, so, you know, that's definitely a possibility. Uh, I would absolutely love to do that. I didn't get to see all of these. They kind of came in quick before I jumped over here. But anyway, once again, thank you guys for spending an hour with me, a little over an hour. Uh, you guys have a great day, and we will talk soon.